In Palestine, there is going on a brutal and a cruel military occupation. I think the main target, the main thing, the first thing, and the main thing, the main effort should be targeted now to fight this occupation. You can have seminars about the right of Israel to exist, about a one-state solution, about a Palestinian state where Jews will have the right or will not have the right to live. It's very nice, but in Gaza, in Nablus, in Hebron, there are millions who are suffering. And this must be on the agenda. And this is the main issue right now. And this is an issue that Europe can contribute and now to talk about the right of Israel to exist might sound very nice, but is both a little bit too late and also very much not practical. So I think, if I may, we have to focus our struggle. We have to be practical. We have to think about things that can be achieved. And we have to think about what is the most urgent thing now. And the most urgent thing now is to put an end to this brutal occupation. And I truly believe you can contribute on this. Now let me tell you uh, one or two sentences about myself for the, the very few of you who don't read Haaretz on a permanent basis. I'm an Israeli, Israeli-born, I am what uh, one could call in Israel a good boy Tel Aviv, who went to school, who served the army, who had a certain political career, who was brought up under the Israeli education system, and who was taught to know that the land, an empty land, or a people without a land came to a land without a people, that the Arabs are all bad and the Jews are all good, that the occupation is something that was forced on Israel, that Israel does not mean to stay, that the occupied territories might even be called liberated territories. I remember the first tour I made in 68 with my parents to the liberated land. And something on my way changed me in a very dramatic and radical way. And this was when I first went to the occupied territories as a journalist. And like a butterfly to the fire, it was 20 years ago, like a butterfly to the fire or to the light, I was pulled into it. And ever since then, for 20 years, I cover the Israeli occupation. For the Israeli readers who don't want to read, for the Israelis who don't want to know, it is quite an ungrateful job because you sell something that no one's, or almost no one wants to buy. You force yourself on your readers. There is a file in uh, the offices of Haaretz quite a big file and it's called uh, Sustaining the Subscription Gidon Levy. All those who stop their subscriptions on Haaretz because of Gidon Levy. Something which I'm not so proud about and something which uh, 
does not make our uh, administrative uh, uh, management very happy about me. But what I saw in the last 20 years, and it is only about what I saw in those 20 years, changed me so dramatically, getting to the conclusion that something horrible, but really horrible, is taking place in a distance of half an hour, one hour of our homes, in a distance of half an hour, one hour of this vivid city of Tel Aviv, which is dining and dancing and singing day and night, one of the most vivid cities in the world, I think, today. And when you sit there in Tel Aviv, you don't see and you don't hear. And it's not only about the knowledge. It is also about the responsibility. And I try, at least in my very small, modest power, to make the Israelis understand that what is happening in the occupied territories is being done on their behalf. None of us can claim that we don't have part of it. That it is the soldiers, it is the secret services, it is Sharon, it is the government. Not at all. It is all of us who carry the responsibility. And the occupation, which celebrated last year 38 years of existence, which means that last year the Israeli occupation lasted twice more than the State of Israel existed before the occupation. 19 years between 48 and 67, 38 years between 67 and 2005. Nobody can claim anymore that this occupation is something temporary. Nobody can seriously claim that this occupation is, was forced on Israel, is something that Israel does not want to live with. It is part and parcel of the Israeli Jewish state. This occupation becomes more and more brutal from year to year, from week to week. The last years were the most horrible ones. The last months in Gaza are really just a horror show. And if you are an Israeli newspaper reader or TV consumer, you can hardly know what's going on there. I don't want to judge the Dutch media because, unfortunately, I'm not exposed to the Dutch media. But I can tell you that the more brutal the occupation became, the less covered it is in the Israeli media. I remember the first pregnant woman that I wrote about back in 86 or 87, who went to three checkpoints and in, diff in three different checkpoints, the soldiers did not, did not let her pass. In the third, it was a windy, rainy night. She was on her way to a hospital in East Jerusalem, Augusta Victoria. She was a Bedouin woman from Nebi Samuel. On the third checkpoint, she gave birth in the car. 
And then she begged the soldiers to let her get to the hospital and they wouldn't let her. And then she even begged the soldiers to just take the baby to the hospital and they wouldn't do it. And finally she was walking in the rain for two and a half kilometers and when she arrived Augusta Victoria the baby was dead. I remember this story because it was the first one. I remember that my first reaction was it cannot be true. It cannot be true that in three different checkpoints such a thing can happen. And then I remember when I published it I asked first for the reaction of the army spokesman hoping that maybe she invented the whole story maybe it's not true and so unfortunately it was true but what I want to mention here that when I published it something moved in the Israeli public opinion it was an issue it was even discussed in the cabinet meeting few officers were fired maybe one was even punished one week in jail or something like this but the story shocked at least a small part of the Israeli society 20 years later and in those 20 years I wrote about so many different similar cases and it's not an issue anymore it hardly gets a cover, nobody cares, no one is punished. It became part of the routine life on behalf of the second religion of the Jewish state, which is security, which always, but always, is an answer to anything. I'm mentioning this story because this change within, within those 20 years in Israeli public opinion and in the Israeli media is something that we Israelis should be very, very worried about because the Israeli society in the last, at least in the last six years, went into a coma, a moral coma not caring anymore about almost anything. The suffering is becoming less and less bearable and the indifference becomes just stronger and stronger. A story like this about a mother who lost a baby in a checkpoint, I almost sure that will hardly be published at all. I think I wrote about five or six cases like this ever since then. And maybe I want to say, maybe if they'll call me and tell me such a story, I might even say, no, no, I will not do it because I know that it will fall on, on blind eyes, on deaf ears. And the role of media in those years is not only not a constructive one, it is a very, very destructive one, at least in Israel. Israel is a democracy, a real democracy for its Jewish citizens, but only for them. When I have lectures in front of younger people than you, I usually say that you cannot be half pregnant. 
Many young people would have liked maybe to be half pregnant, but it doesn't work. Either you are pregnant or you are not. Either you are democracy, you are a democracy, or you are not. You can't be a democracy and have this thing going on in your backyard, in your dark backyard, and claim that you are democracy. It doesn't exist. But Israel as a democracy to Jewish citizens enable us to have quite a free press. I think not less free than any Western press. And still, something is going on in this media which is much worse than censorship, and this is the self-censorship. I'm always much more worried and afraid from self-censorship rather than a censorship which is dictated from above because nobody fights self-censorship because it's voluntarily because it is it serves the interest of everybody and the coverage of the atrocities that Israel is doing in the West Bank and Gaza or the lack of coverage would I say should I say is by the interest of everyone the readers don't want to read the writers most of them don't want to write and don't want to go there the publishers don't want to publish because it doesn't sell newspapers. The government doesn't want it to be told. The army does not want it to be told. And we have a rare coalition, wall to wall almost, <clears throat> which enable this uh, silence which later on creates the indifference. But the role of the Israeli media is not only by its passiveness, but not by not telling. It is about also what they are telling the Israelis. And the media is a very important agent in this horrible process that we went through in the last years of demonization of the Palestinian people. I think that the dehumanization of the Palestinian people is the most efficient tool of the occupation because I truly believe that at least part of the Israelis, if not most of them, are people with values, with moral values. They are those who would uh, volunteer to a rescue mission in an earthquake in Turkey or in Mexico they would help an old lady to cross the road many times, even if she doesn't want to cross the road. <laughs> and something happens when they go and serve there in the occupied territories. And something happens when there are Israeli citizens who know that something bad is going on in very vague terms and don't care at all. And this something is possible only throughout dehumanization. Because if the Palestinians are not human beings like us, then the rules of the game can be different. Then all kinds of human values can be more flexible. Then we can do what we are doing there, because they are not human beings like us. And I think that this is maybe the most negative role, the most destructive, not to say 
criminal role of the Israeli media taking part in this process of dehumanization of the Palestinian people, of the Palestinian citizens. How much time do I have? I finished. <laughs> so I just conclude in saying that we have a long-standing argument in Israeli society and uh, Professor Tanya Reinhardt is with us here and she will speak in the evening. Would the Israelis be different if they would have known more about what is being done on their behalf? I'm still maybe too naive, but I truly believe that would more Israeli knows, Israelis know about what is being done on their behalf, they would do something about it. They would protest. They would try to fight it. Right now there is no protest. No, almost very, very small organizations that deal with the occupation very marginal ones. The entire Israeli society is entirely in a different place, not dealing with the occupation. And I think that one day when a historian will want to understand what happened there, he will go to the archives of the Israeli media and to the archives of the Israeli television he will not understand anything because it's not, it, it is not there. And me and one or two of my colleagues, we are trying, but it's really just a, just like a, like a drop in the ocean. We're trying to prevent one thing, and this is that the Israelis, or at least the readers of Haaretz, will be able to say, we didn't know. We didn't know that all this happened. This is my modest contribution in the last 20 years. And uh, I must tell you, it's a very marginal contribution. Thank you very much. Mr. Levy, thank you very much for your uh, very moving and uh, thorough introduction. Um, there, while listening to you, I sense a certain contradiction. On the one hand, um, we know the situation, and you also described it. Uh, the Israeli army is, is a popular army, so most young males, in fact all young males, have been in the Palestinian territories for a certain period in their life. So they should be able to know. Um, your work and also Amira Haas and perhaps one or two others, it is being published. And your stories as well as your colleague Amira Haas, they are very clear. Um, there might not be hundreds of you, but you are writing. The, st the stories can be read by anybody in Israel as they can be read by anybody in Europe. And I'm sure that most, actually most of the people here are familiar with Haaretz on a more or less daily basis through the internet. 
So there is a possibility to know, and at the same time you say, and you also describe it, and at the same time you say, uh, most Israelis don't seem to know, because if they would know, they would react more fiercely. Yes, it's a very good question, and uh, it has two parts. First of all, about the soldiers who served there, and some of them are friends of my son or my sons, and I tend to talk with them from time to time, and I know them ever since they were small children, and I, I know who they are, and I'm astonished again and again how brainwashed those young people are. You can't expect an 18-year-old boy who was brought up in the Israeli education system and goes to the army to see anything but what he is being told to see. There are some who refuse, and they are really adorable and remarkable. We have already quite, uh, I don't want to say meaningful, but there is a group of people who refuse, people who served and went and were released and then organized this remarkable organization of breaking silence, but they are just a small minority, one should admit. It's impossible to, to require from a young man whose brain was so washed, who goes there and is being taught that any Palestinian is a danger, that any Palestinian is just a walking bomb, that any Palestinian was born to kill. You can't change their minds and you can't expect them, from the most of them at least, for the majority of them, to really see. Yes, but the young men grow older. They get sons. Uh, mm. They also do reserve tours on, uh, until right. what, the age of 38 or 40. 40. So it's not just a matter of young men. It's a matter of men, their mothers, their sisters, their wives. How, how come that this, this terrible secret doesn't filter through in the Israeli society? Because this terrible secret is very, very inconvenient to admit. Because this terrible secret is something that is burning under our feet, but we try to cover it up. We try to put it under the carpet as much as we can, and we can, because there are so many agencies that help the Israelis to cover it up. And then comes the terror, and then comes Ehud Barak and spreads the lie that there is no Palestinian partner. And there are so many other agents that help you to do what naturally you would like to, because it's much more convenient on a psychological level not to admit, not to confront, not to see. Now about the, the second half of your uh, question about those of us who write. Yes, there are, there, there are those one or two or three ghettos in the Israeli media, which I am one of them, where you know that you can read, but you have to want to read. You have to come there with open heart, with open eyes. And where all the agencies are teaching us just the opposite, it's very rare, though I must tell you, you know, I'm getting also a lot of uh, encouragements. Uh, people send me money that I will take to the territories. People are ready to do something. But they are really a small minority. The big majority is in blindness. And 
one or two little lights cannot fight against uh, such a blackout which is in the Israeli society. Um, a final question to you before I give the floor to Mr. Shadid. We have now been talking about the citizens of the state of Israel and the media in general, but the media are made up of individual journalists. Now, journalists are all taught pro professional journalists that they have to report on the objective truth, whatever that may be. Um, this, th this process that you describe is very much at odds with any notion about independent journalism in a democracy, and after all, Israel is still a democracy for its Jewish citizens, and the media are free to report. So maybe you could explain something more about what happens with the individual journalist and this um, issue of self-censorship. The, the individual journalist is just another Israeli who was brought up like any other Israeli, who thinks that on behalf of security, everything is legitimate, who maybe even thinks like the late Golda Meir had told us that after the Holocaust, the Jews have the right to do whatever they want, who believes that Israel is really meaning peace and it is all about the Arab terrorists who, who prevent it, who believes that we have a right on the whole land of Israel. And this journalist, when he becomes a journalist, comes already quite loaded with everything else that any other Israeli come to. To this you have to add the expectation of his readers, his publishers, his editors. They are all using a different language, the language in which occupation is something legitimate, the language in which Israel has the right to kill every day 10, 15 Palestinians and not to ask why. The language in which Israel has the right to do things that no other state in the world maybe has the right to do. You are not born journalist, you are born Israeli. And when you become a journalist, you carry all this. And still I must tell you, here and there, there are some exceptions, very few, very... Uh, remarkable, not including me. And they are really uh, like, like a small light in the darkness. But the mainstream, in any country, I'm sure in your country you face the same problem. Do you really read the truth about, uh, about your immigrants? Do you really read the truth about uh, Afghanistan? Do you really read the truth about Iraq? You have a free press as well. And uh, I'm sure you have very skilled journalists who were taught to tell the truth and just the truth and the whole truth. And I'm sure also in your very, very liberal country, the press is going one way, which is not always the only possible way and not always telling the whole truth.